Oral Histories of the National Railway Museum. John Evans is a former South Australian Railways employee, an author and owner of one of the largest collections of train orders in the world. Speaking here with Peter Hackworth in 2017, John talks about his passion for railways, how it all started, and his love of the Hawker Line. Firstly, John, thank you for agreeing to be a part of this. Where did this passion for railways come from? It probably started back in the 1950s. My paternal grandfather held a very popular position in the railways for many years, and that being paymaster. So every week or every fortnight, he was a very popular chap up and down the track. The task of the railways putting pay right down to the last penny in an envelope and doing this 12,000 times every week or fortnight is just amazing. So my grandfather was in the railways. My grandfather built for his 1914 bride a house at Durden Road in Hawthorne within sight of the main south line to Tail and Bend and across to Melbourne. And as a youngster back in the mid to late 50s, I would spend school holidays at my grandparents' house and watch the cavalcade of steam as it still was then go by. I was too young to sort of be able to differentiate different classes of locomotive, but it was just the fate that here were these trains thundering past. Of course, steam was all the go back in those days. My grandmother would take me down to Semaphore and again we'd often travel behind an F-class suburban tank locomotive and coming back to Hawthorne of an afternoon there was one crack train out of Adelaide of the suburban network. It was seven carriages long, it left at about 5.20 in the afternoon from platform one and this was the prestigious train to be seen on sort of thing. My grandmother would have a talk to her husband in the pay office and get him to hold this train, would you believe, to make the connection with the train from Semaphore. And of course here's this little lad of about four or five or thereabouts. The platform's clear, steam locomotive up the front, pouring out steam all over the place. And here's this little kid dragging his grandmother from the barrier to the first carriage behind the engine. And so eventually we got underway. <laughs> <laughs> and how often did that occur? Quite a bit. It was really quite amazing. I don't know how my grandmother contrived to do it, but it happened quite a bit. And so they'd see me trailing down the platform, you know, they're all ready to go. <laughs> we caused great havoc. So it, it really started there. When were you born? 30th of October yeah, 1949. Okay. And what was your family circumstance? My mother and father were both only children. They met on the workers' train to Islington workshops in 1943. Both of them working yes, on Yes, my, my father was working in the aircraft production area at Islington, but apart from churning out rail equipment. So you were completely being indoctrinated into the railways. You really had nowhere to go but with both <laughs> your parents and your... Well, it, it's ironic. We lived in Norwood and brought up in Norwood went to school in, in Trinity Gardens and of course that's the one direction from the CBD that doesn't have any rail service. Although we did have trams I should say. So you had your grandparents up in the hills and you would catch a train with your grandmother. Mm. How did it further develop this love of the railways? Did you become a train spotter or? I did become a train spotter, yes indeed, I became one of those. A couple of things I discovered along the way that really fueled my interest in, in trains. I mean I should say too, it wasn't just trains. Dad was great on taking us boys behind the scenes so that we'd go down to the Milan goods yards and 
before you knew it, we were up in the cab of an RX, just trundling up and down the yard. On another occasion, he'd take us down to the airport, and we'd go into an aircraft that was being overnight serviced, an Electra or a Viscount, something like that, and we'd go on board. Dad knew somebody in the engineering staff, so off we'd go. Shipping, we'd be down on a tug, in the Port River, whilst the tug and others were looking after vessels coming in or going out of the Port River. And again, he had this amazing batch of contacts that he would use. So it was Dad doing things like that, you know, as I said, which just unheard of today. You know, yeah. you just wouldn't get to square one without being apprehended and shown off the property, so to speak. Which so they built a fascination in the, in the whole mechanics of how things work. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. very much so. So Dad was keen to sort of introduce us to all sorts of experiences, shall we say, behind the scenes. Right. In 1961, this particular publication, it's called Metropolitan and Country Time and Fair Tables. So it's a complete compendium of all the passenger trains that operated at that time. With South Australia. In South Australia. Yes, yeah. Yeah. It's all here. This is country and metropolitan yes, time yep. tables. All the passenger carrying services of the SAR, with reference where it's appropriate to the Commonwealth Railways, with obviously um, operations across to the west, up to Alice Springs and so forth. And that really spurred me on to, you know, I was discovering stuff I had no idea about at all. It had a very comprehensive map in it. But the real breakthrough came a little bit later. Whilst this was fine for passenger services, I was keen to know when did the goods trains run and where to and so forth. Back to my paternal grandfather now. He was a close friend of the station master at Mitcham, which had another Bob Ellis. And he pestered Bob. He, he wanted something for the boy. He always called me the boy. And against his better judgment, Bob one day gave him this. And it's a working timetable. It's effective May the 7th, 1961, for the Adelaide Division, Goods, Trains, Services, Metropolitan and Country Lines. And at the bottom it says, for the use of railway staff only. Now on sort of pain of death, my grandfather was sworn to secrecy. He was never to reveal the source of this particular publication. And he took great delight in giving me this copy. And how did you react when you were given it? Oh, well, this was the great revelation. All of a sudden, although it was out of date, it wasn't current, didn't matter to me, uh, near enough was good enough. And so I just absorbed, like a piece of blotting paper, I just absorbed all the information in, in here where you had the schedules of the various goods trains that ran on lines around the state. You had the tonnages that locomotives could haul on, over different sections. You had the running times between stations, and so it went on and on. And so that was the catalyst. And you were, what, about 13 years old? Uh, yes, I was getting up to, yeah, probably 12, around about that mark, yes. And, and apart from your grandfather and your father, were, were you sharing this passion with anyone else? People at school, yes. Nerds Incorporated, group of us at school. And yes, I guess we, we all shared a sort of a, a broad knowledge and so forth of, of trains and so yeah. forth. We were just a fairly close-knit group of people. One of our number was an astronaut, Andrew Thomas. Oh, right. So Andrew was part of a group of us. We travelled far and wide across South Australia, travelling on the trains of the day. OK. Typically, where would you be going? Oh, we could be going to Clare, Tarawi, Moonta, Gladstone. How was this financed? <laughs> well, it was pocket money and it was putting the hard word on mum and dad for a, a little bit more emolument sometimes where the mood took us. Very early in the piece we established 
that if you were prepared to put up eight full fares, the rowers would put a carriage on the back of the nominated goods train that you were travelling on. Is that right? Yes, indeed, yeah. You would get eight together? Oh, easily, easily, yeah. So were you all at the one school together, or was this, was this a broad... No, net? well, there was a nucleus of us that were at one school, that's uh, St Peter's College, but we had people from neighbouring secondary organisations. These days people would communicate by text. How did you communicate? Oh, well, we'd take a lunch break or something and meet in the library of the school and so forth. You know, we had sort of regular meeting places. St Peter's was obviously an all-boys school, yes. but was this group that you were travelling with all boys? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you got on a train and you were travelling to Clare or Borough or to Rowley yeah. or whatever, what were you doing? Probably bailing up the guard, having a bit of a natter with him. If we played our cards right, we'd get a ride up in the engine. And sometimes you do it in rotation. You'd go up for a section, for example, then go back to the carriage and another group would come forward. We found most crews were extraordinarily friendly back in this era. And they'd be very obliging. They didn't have to be, but they were pretty good to us. Well, they were probably, in a sense, wrapped to have people showing interest in their work. That had really started back in the 50s. The advent of what we call tour trains started to take hold in the mid-1950s. The Australian Railway Historical Society, which still exists to this day, they would develop a program of tours in each calendar year. It really got legs in about 1962 when we start to see either the last runs of certain prominent steam locomotives or the last trains on particular tracks prior to the branch yeah. line, prior to the closing. So we've got the last train to Mount Pleasant, for example, in March 1963. And were you on that? Yes, I was on that, yes, indeed. Was, that was the first of these sort of special tour trains. On the last train, for example, to Mount Pleasant, was that just so you could tick off a box and say you're on the last train yeah. or was it an emotional thing for you? Not really. It was sort of, yes, having sort of bragging rights. To this day, there are people who still come out of the woodwork and say, oh, I wish I'd been on that last train to Mount Pleasant. In my case, it was... Uh, I wasn't on the last train to Hawker up in the Flinders Ranges, which, in retrospect, I regret right. not being on that train. So as a teenager, while you were at school, were there any particularly memorable train trips? One particular weekend on Easter trip back in 1964 called the Sundowner, and it went up to the Flinders Ranges, the Quorn and Hawker and beyond, up to Maree and out on the old narrow gauge line to a place called Albury Creek. And that arguably was the best four-day trip ever in South Australia. There was one unique aspect about this trip. The Commonwealth Rails developed a, a system called piggybacking. They had a set of rails installed on a, a series of flat cars and they actually put another train on top of these flat cars and took that train down to Port Augusta with coal to feed the new power stations that we've just seen close yeah. and start to be knocked down. So it was that novelty of we go out to Albury Creek, we come back to Maree, they drop the fire, they empty the boiler of water and then they took it back to Port Augusta with us. Right. Incorporated into our train, right. so to speak. No worse in the world would that ever happen. Right. Never, ever. And while steam trains were running, did you have a particular engine that was your passion? T-Class, narrow gauge. What was it about the T-Class? Oh, I think just a, a good workman-like locomotive, narrow gauge, although some were re-gauged to broad gauge uh, in the 30s and 40s. It's a locomotive I sort of grew up with. I fired it, I drove it, I you know, did everything possible with this locomotive. How did you grow up with it? I think the fact that it was around for so long working on Hawker Freights from about from 1964 
1964 to 1969. It was a regular on the Hawker run. And you said you fired it and drove it? Yes. How did you get to do that? Just knowing the crew and gaining their confidence. I can remember on one occasion, the driver of this particular train, he said to me, I'm going back to the brake van. You can take it from here. How old were you at this point? 16. Thereabouts. Right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, just, just remarkable. This guy had enough confidence in me. How did you feel when you had that trained all to yourself? Well, there's one particular section I expected him to come up on, back onto the locomotive before we went down this grade. The curves were so tight, you were down to 15 miles an hour around some of these curves. But the plus was that it was, the track was in really, really good condition, so it was, it was fine. But he, he came back up to, onto the engine at Oruru and took it from there back to Peterborough. That must have given, given you a few bragging rights at school the next day. It, <laughs> yes, I mean, it did to an extent. About four people have set out to photograph me at the throttle of different T-class, and every photograph's been cl- clipped or cut off. Not one of them's turned out the way they were. Oh, right. It's, it's amazing. In fact, I came across a colour slide only recently, and same thing's happened there. It's right on the end of a roll of film, so you've only got a partial right. shot, uh, oh, which very neatly cuts me out of the picture. Is this the beginning of your almost lifetime obsession with the Hawker line? That really started in 1959. May 1959, the, the Evans family head north for their first trip to the Flinders Ranges. By train? No, by car. So it's Sunday afternoon in May, and we're heading up the track in a FJ, Holden, and we come to a place called Warnertown. Warnertown is on the approaches to Port Pirie. Warnertown is where I first see narrow-gauge track for the first time. Having been brought up and used to five-foot-three gauge, of course, I'm looking at this three-foot-six and I'm thinking, what could ever run on this track? It's so narrow compared to what I'm used to. In those days, it took you all day to get to Port Augusta. It's a single strip of bitumen. If you meet someone coming the other way, you've both got to put a set of wheels into the dirt to, to go past one another. And so we're eight hours getting to Port Augusta. Monday, off we go, we're in Pichirichi Pass, we come out the other side, dirt road by this stage, approaching Quorn, looked over to the right, there's all these steam locomotives, all, it's like an engine graveyard. So we stopped, we went across the tracks and here are all these NM class steam locomotives all rusting away in a, in a great heap. Anyway, we push on up to Hawker and here's the line from Quorn up to Hawker. And of course, my great regret is that I've missed the line from Hawker to Maree. So what I lost there, I made up by doing to Hawker countless times. Right. Thanks for listening to this oral history podcast from the National Railway Museum.